Welcome to the Small Business Show. We created a platform to have candid and in-depth conversations with entrepreneur and business professional we find fascinating. Learn the tips and tricks for marketing, running, and growing a small business. The Small Business Show is the official podcast of Garuda Promo and Branding Solutions. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Small Business Show. My name is Swire, your host for the show. My guest today is Simon Chen from MLM Nation. Simon is a coach and trainer in direct selling. He's also a content marketer. He's a podcast host for MLM Nation, number one network marketing podcast, over 700 episodes. Good morning, Simon. Hey, Swire. Thank you for having me here. You live a very interesting life. For listeners who might not yet be familiar with you and your work, can you give us a short version of what you do? I think um, interesting life, and I consider myself the most boring person. I have a very lot of boring routines, but make a long story short, uh, I went to university, going to study to become a doctor, follow my dad's footsteps, and then decided not to do it. Uh, then got a dream job, very low-paying dream job. I basically didn't want to be a doctor, got a very uh, good, you know, I loved the job, working for the NBA, the National Basketball Association. I was a huge uh, basketball fan. And then from there, I became friends with the first Chinese player to work for the NBA. I was a sports agent for shortly. And then I was um, basically back doing sports. I didn't really like it. I was young. It was, it was cool. And then I reached this age where I wanted to make some money. I was didn't know what to do. Then I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad that... Mm really changed my life. And I never knew the concept of passive income. You know, my dad was very like, you know, Rich Dad Poor Dad talked about the, he was typical S quadrant. I was born and raised, you know, my dad was rags to riches. Basically, I was always the richest kid in public school. We weren't like millionaires, but we were upper, you know, uh, I would say upper middle class. I was the richest kid in public school, but my dad never had time for me. Right, we once I always wanted to play ball, play sports. And then when you got to like age nine, just too busy. So I always knew that, hey, you either work, uh, you make money, but you have to spend a lot of time or you climb the corporate ladder, you become a lawyer or do something. I never knew about businesses and entrepreneurship. And I went to a prestigious university, knew nothing. And then that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I learned more about personal finance than anyone's ever taught me through like 20 years of schooling. And I realized I wanted to start a business. I didn't have any business background. I only knew how to work at a job. Didn't have much money to get started. So somehow I discovered network marketing. I wasn't even sure what it was. But at the same time, at that time, I did a lot of soul searching. It was a turning point in my life. Jesus Christ is very big important to me. I read a book called Purpose Driven Life. And I felt that from that book, God's purpose for me was to have a positive impact, as many lives as possible. And the more I looked into, I thought about doing franchising as well. But the more I learned about what network marketing was, is if you want the residual, it's not just about making sales. Is really teaching and empowering teams, leadership, and helping people. I mean, help more people, you earn more. And I thought that was God's calling. And that's how I got started in 2003. I was struggled for months until I became consistent. Started then started getting some results. It wasn't overnight success, definitely not. But by, by year three, I was able to get a full-time income. Eventually built a seven-figure business. And then in 2013, 2012, towards that time, I had like a, I feel like my purpose I wanted a shift in purpose and realized that the company, the products I was doing was really just a small piece of a huge billion dollar industry. And I wanted to have a different purpose was to really coaching, help more people. So I transitioned into uh, coaching people in the direct selling space. And I've been doing full time doing that since 2013. 
How long has it reached that poor that book? It it gotta be over 20 years, right? Yeah, that book was written out in the 90s. And um, it's funny, my friend that told me about that in probably 99, I think it came out in 98, but I didn't read it until like 2002, 2003. Do you think some of the concepts, you know, they talk about real estate, right? To talk talk about a passive income. Do you think it's still relevant if you have to do it all over again? Would you still follow those concepts? Yo, absolutely. I think the concepts for Rich Dad Poor Dad are not as radical as it was. Back in the 90s, when the internet was just really internet web one, most people knew about getting a job. Now, I think just from Instagram, right? People are influencers. Like I met one of my sons, one of my best friends had lunch with him in Irvine yesterday, and his son knows about influencers. Like he's like, oh, it would be so cool just to be an online influencer, work for yourself. People, a lot of younger kids, they're not even thinking about getting a job now. They're thinking about other ways to make money. Right. You see, like there's the Uber, there's the Airbnbs, right? Like anyone can be kind of like an entrepreneur. You can go freelance, you can do something. So it's definitely changed a lot of things. And I think those concepts definitely still apply. And but people are more open to it. It would not be such as radical as when that book first came out. Yeah, I think it, it, it that makes sense, especially you and I are Asian. We know that parents expect you to be doctors and lawyers. If you can't do it, do CPA or go into business, right? So that's kind of the path that, you know, when you think about traditional Asian family, that's doctors number one, right? And then goes on the list. But like you said, when you talk to younger generation right now, ethnicity doesn't matter. People want to be a YouTuber. They want to be an influencer. And, you know, surprisingly, you'd be surprised, ask about how much gamers are making right now? How much influence are making right now? Double, triple someone's full-time paying job, you know, working at nine to five. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we're like, we, you know, we're probably around the same age. We're dating ourselves when we're like that, then reached that port that came out. We're like, wow, this is so new. Like you said, the gamers, since they're like six, seven year old, 78 year old kids, they know about this stuff. They're looking for like other ways, like going to school and getting the job is not the only way. It's not what people think about. We're not saying you shouldn't go to school. You should still go to school. There are a lot more options. I would put use that yes, word sir. that they're not there because before there's only professional category, and you have to go to school to be those professional, like a doctor, right? A lot of training. You have to go to law school to be a lawyer. But now, not saying gamers doesn't need training. They play a lot of games to be at that high level. And when you're influencer, it's not easy to do. You know, try to be an oh, influencer yeah. for one day. It's just it overwhelms you. Like the 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 amount of time, the effort, the thinking goes on to one static picture. You don't yeah. you don't know how big of a team actually are behind them to support them. It would be more like I think a better word to say would be role models or people to aspire to. Right? Like when like think when I was growing up, you aspired to I was really into sports. So I aspire you want to make a lot of money, you want to be a professional athlete, right? Or mm-hmm. you want to be an entertainer. There's a lot of people who think like that because I didn't know anything about businesses. And then I think nowadays, kids, generation, they have other role models to aspire to. Like you said, influence is a lot of work. They don't know, but they say, hey, I maybe some kids say, I want to be that one day. And, you know, of course, for every one of the big success, there's a lot of people who don't make it, but they don't know about it. But there's just different choices and a lot more options on what you can do now. You actually mentioned about consistency in business. You know, obviously, we're going a lot more, I would call it new style of career path. But do you think it's still relevant and still makes sense to be consistency in whatever that you do in business? Oh, absolutely. Consistency is the number one skill. Right? So because it's the mother of all skills. If you want to say you want to be an influencer and you're not really sure about how to uh, go about it and say you're doing 
TikTok videos right now. You're not sure how about doing that. If you do it just once a week, you're never going to be good at it. But if you stay consistent at it, all of a sudden you find the little details. It's like the really the learning is in the doing. The more you do it, you find little small things that you didn't know about, right? Like I'll give an example. Like when we first started on here, I couldn't hear you, your audio. I don't know why, but I knew the reason why it was because I just I am using a different computer than my normal computer, and but I'm using my good mic. And when every time I connect that mic, every time I connect it, the default output goes to the mic and not to my speakers. Now. I don't know why it's out that Apple, but that's an example of consistency. You do something over and over again, small little details you will pick up. If you're not consistent, you're never going to be successful. No strategy will ever work. Because generally, you know, one of my mentors, early mentors taught me this. It's like anything you do, say out you do 10 ideas, 10 things, seven will fail or lose money. Two will break even, but one will be really, really successful. And the one will make up for all the past failures. So if you're not going about it, so just say you're doing a, you're doing a 10 reels on take, uh, Instagram, right? The first seven, you may not get the traction. And all of a sudden, two would do okay, and one would be really, really good. But if you're not consistent and keep doing it, you're never going to get to that one, that big hit. I could totally relate to that because the next point I'm going to ask you, it, it, it kind of enhanced to that too. You have to stay consistent. You have to be consistent and you have to stay there for a little bit because if you do it one time, you have no engagement and then you stop, then you can never get better. If you do it 10 times, you might not even get anyone notice you, but then your process, I think, you know, in, in my own line of work, if I do it over and over again, my process gets better. Maybe I'm not able to get to where I want to be yet, but then I am able to find little things that works for me I adjust myself so I spend less time on it. I spend less money on it. When I try to produce something, my time and effort are less the more that I do it. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, the systems get a lot better, right? If you do something once in a while, you kind of forget what happened in your last experience. But if you keep doing repeatedly, have a schedule for that, the mistakes and the things that didn't work that well are fresh in your mind and you can make quick changes. So I'm going to give you like. People probably know that consistency is important. Discipline is important. Anyone can be consistent. I kind of wrote the book, The Consistency Pill, basically about seven components, right? And, and anything you have accomplished successfully, Swire, you've applied all seven. And anything that you maybe failed short or like you set a goal, you didn't hit it, you probably didn't apply. Or apply. You maybe missed some of these components. So the first component is you got to have a checklist of what to do, kind of like your SOP. Now, if you're doing this, if you've been podcasting, you've been doing a small business show consistently, you have a checklist on, you have to be very clear, specific on what you do. And you have a very good system. We did a pre-interview, you have an email series, you have a, have a stream yard, tutorial links. You have that system set up, right? First is the checklist. Number two is you got to create and schedule the time. I think that's something that people miss. It's like they want to do something, but they think as entrepreneurs, we have unlimited goals and dreams, but we're not getting not even one extra second to make that happen. You got to go to the calendar, clear it up, and make it a routine. It's like people exercise consistently. They have a routine. If you don't have a routine, you're not going to make it, right? Because life has always happened. Business, as far as the catch, something's always going to come up. So you got to create that routine, create that schedule of time. Number three is you determine the strategy. What's the strategy, right? I'm sure for your podcast, is a strategy to get find guests. For my show, I have a strategy to find guests. Whatever goal you want to hit in your business, you need to have a strategy. And that strategy determines, number one, the checklist. And number four is choosing your environment. 
the environment is really important. The environment is not just uh, where you're doing it, right? But also maybe musical cues. I use music a lot. Like an example is sometimes like creativity. I have a great office here, but I'm never not very creative here. I get burned out. But once I go to my backyard, I meditate for five minutes. I get a lot of my ideas, my content ideas there, right? Choosing your environment. Number five, the fifth component is to track. You got to track your progress. If you don't track your progress, how well do you know? How do you know whether, whether you're doing you're on the right track or not? And then number six is uh, of the component is your tools. Using tools such as your calendar, scheduling. I was talking about if you want to be consistent, make your calendar your boss. Wherever the calendar says, you have to show up. This doesn't matter what happens. It's a meeting, right? It's just like, kind of like if you had, when you had a job. It's something as entrepreneurs we struggle with that because. We could always change. But if you had a meeting with your boss, doesn't matter what happens, you got to show up for that meeting, right? You got to show up for the VP of the company. Same thing. Make your calendar your boss. Whatever activity you want to stay consistent, put it in calendar, make it non-negotiable. Uh, so you use tools like timers, tracking, a lot of apps that can help you. And the last part, the last component is the most important is accountability. You need accountability. Without accountability, we are all human. We slack off a little bit. Just like going to the gym, you don't feel like going, but you have an accountability partner, you're probably going to show up. So those are the seven components, why? Well, I like that. You know, for anything, I, I'm thinking about different scenario, right? If you really follow those seven steps, uh, Simon, you just mentioned about, you you'll be pretty good at doing that things if you're able to create a system and follow the process and review, right? At the end of a, a certain process, you mentioned a routine in exercising. You know, maybe you set a certain goal. Once you reach the goal, what we can do is actually you could reset the goal. Maybe you want it to be at a higher level or you're happy with where you are. So there are always in back to business, you know, you could, once you reach a certain milestone, you could be better or you could just, you know, be happy at what you are and, and do it. I think that's a lot of good, good points there. Yeah. And when you reset the new goal, you need to make sure you have to adapt those seven components, right? Because the checklist changes, the strategy changes. You may need a different accountability partner, a lot of times, like, yeah, like, for example, your business goes to seven figures. Now you want to go to eight, uh, mid seven figures, right? Now, the people around you, the accountability, which like your previous accountability partners may not be the ones that'll pull you get there. So as you adjust your goals, you have to adjust your seven components as well. So I'm thinking some of the uh, listener probably asked this question and it's 2022 and, you know, we want more, but we want it faster. <laughs> so... Compared to what's available to us, let's say when you first started to where you are right now, is it true that we could actually achieve more in less time? Is that possible? It is possible, even though it seems much harder, right? Because I think there's a huge information overload, overwhelm. There's so many options. And I was talking about if you want to achieve more in less time, it's like most people cannot stay focused. And I think in this age, we're like, you know, we, we live in the distraction economy where companies get paid, they make money to distract us. Right? Like <laughs> Apple, Apple makes money. The more we use a phone to distract, distract us, they make money, right? Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, they make money when they get our attention. So if you can guard your attention and stay focused, you will win out. 100% believe it. That's been one of the keys to my success. I really believe that, especially now there's more and more distractions. So achieve, you want to get more stuff done in less time. It's just time management, like time blocking, sticking to your plan. And all, I also say doing more of less, right? More of less meaning like instead of doing like, just say you have a business, you have like five different things you can do, five different strategies. I like to talk about social media. You get started, you want to get your brand out on social media. Instead of uh, 
going out in small businesses. Normally, we don't have the luxury to hire big firms, and you know we're not like Apple, Samsung, get, get on every platform. So you have a limited budget. Instead, we want to be on every single platform, which is doing a lot. Focus on one platform, but do a lot on that one platform. That's what they're doing more. Do more going deep instead of going wide. Going narrow and deep. And then what happens is you'll be able to, and that allow you, number one, be consistent. And number two, you will really, and consistently creates mastery. You're going to get good at that one platform. And after you master that, maybe in six months, one month's time, then you can go spread out to the next thing. And over, and, but if you look back from a bird's eye view, over time, you will get a lot, lot more done in less time. I, I like that. But sometimes what I'm hearing, and especially sometimes I do that myself too, is we're afraid of missing out. You know, like you said, uh, yeah, on digital marketing, if if I'm not on all the platforms that are available, I don't have all the icons in my email signature, we're missing out. But like you said, if you get good at one thing at one platform, or you, or maybe your business is not even on social media, there are still platform or there's still area that people will go to. And if you can dominate that area, it could be good, good for a business, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think what the key, um, FOMO, fear of missing out is a big part of it, right? And I think that's another thing is like nowadays, and this is like a curse, worse than like 20 years ago, like there's so much free information out there. So there's people teach you how to do TikTok. There's people teach you how to do Instagram Reels. There's someone teaching you how to do LinkedIn. You know, there's someone teaching you how to go and set up, uh, build your business with Chamber of Commerce. There's so many different things. And like you know, you see a lot of these books in the background. I was a lot of those books. They weren't that. It actually was hurt me in many ways because you end up reading all at once and not applying. Right? It's more about reading. For example, I'm not saying reading is bad or learning is not bad, but make sure you apply and do something really, really well before you move on to the next thing. You know, one of the most successful entrepreneurs I know, I'm friends with him, he's built over nine figures in his 20-something years, nine figures in profits, okay, in his, over his like 20 years. And it's from a small business, now he's launched his companies, is that he doesn't even finishes reading a book. But the, when he reads a book and he finds one thing he needs to apply, he basically puts the book down and gets to work and make sure he applies that one thing within the next 30 days. Next 30 days, he's got to apply it. And he may never touch that book again. But then he goes on to another book, same thing. And he's repeated that over like the course of 30 years. Take one thing and apply and then get another thing and apply. So every time he's growing, he's making like 5% improvement or even say 1% improvements every 30 days. New ideas, new things. And he's able to grow a lot, a lot quicker. But getting back to the fear of missing out, that's something you have to understand. Like, and as a marketer, it makes this sound terrible, but it's like you want to create FOMO, but you don't want to be a victim of FOMO. You want to create, you, in your marketing, you got to make people, they're going to miss out if they don't do your thing, but make sure you're not a victim of that FOMO, right? One of the key, the big part of my success is I've never been, uh, I always thought long-term, I stuck to one thing. I think about my you know, 19 years as an entrepreneur, there's only been really one time I didn't jump in. And I kind of, my business suffered for it. It suffered a little bit. But overall, it has never been. It's like even the podcast, basically the podcast really was a turning point for our company, a coaching company. When we started it, we got the idea in October 2014. My staff basically worked on it for four months. And, and this was like getting the guests, lining up, creating the system. Now creating a podcast is much, much easier. That time they didn't have the tools back in 2014, 2015. They were only allowed to work on the podcast. That's it. And getting the guests and creating the systems and 
and, and the SOPs were running down. But that really launched our company. Now, if we were distracted, we wanted to at that time get into Instagram, do this and do all that, we definitely wouldn't be where we are today because the pockets wouldn't be as good as it was. Yeah, a lot of good point there. And thank you for validating my point because like the books that I've been reading right now for, for business, right? Each book has a good point. There's strong point, the emphasis, right? I think if I learned that point, I could skip the rest of the book because it's how they come up with that, how you implement it. If I get the concept, like the most of it, and then I am the type of person that I would actually go and try it. Does it really work? Maybe, you know, what they are uh, saying you should do doesn't work for me. You know, you have to accept that maybe it works for another person. It might not work for you. And that's okay. A lot of us sometimes, oh, you have to be in TikTok, Instagram, you have to post uh, this, this, and that, and you got to do it. Maybe it works for certain type of business, maybe in your business, it's all about you going to a country club and golf with people. So that's what, right. what you should do. Feel missing out is real, but you do have to recognize, be consistent, like you said, with your industry, you know, knowing who you are. And then you can answer a lot of the question of, you know, where you actually need to be. You, you don't have to be all plays at all times for your business. Yeah, and then especially if you're first starting out, it's very overwhelming. It gets very discouraging. You know, one of my mentors taught me this. For a book, okay, for a book except for my book, but more, for most books, okay, there's only really good 20 pages of content. Like the main idea, like you said, you shared, because uh, you reminded me, it's 20 pages of idea and an action step, an idea. And the rest of the book is basically filled with stories that makes it more interesting and makes you apply it. But if you're able to get the main point, then you can basically skip the book and you basically go out there and apply it. Because what happens to a lot of books is like they draw it out, right? You, you get a great a great action idea and you keep reading it. And I think that comes from a school mentality, right? We're brainwashed from school that you always finish your books and then you write a book report and then you get a star, you get a sticker since we're young. But you get that 20, 20 it's just 20 pages. Of, well, no idea. one's going to buy a 20-pages book. Exactly. You're going to have like a few hundred pages. Exactly, right? You can't sell a 20-page book for $10. That's why they fill up with the rest of the stuff. But the main idea can be summed up in 20 pages. And, and if you're smart enough, you get that main idea and you apply it to your business. Yeah, sometimes I'll skim through the introduction and then like the testimonial. And then I go into the index, right? Uh, so <laughs> I'll jump into it, learn the concept. You know, maybe validate it a little bit, look it up, and then I, I move on. So thank you. So I'm not just skipping my books. I'm actually actually onto something here. Yeah, no, um, a few years back, one of the best investments I did in myself was I took a speed reading course. Mm. It was actually the book, How to Read Faster, a speed reader by, I forgot the name, it's a very famous book written in the 70s. So it, during the book, it actually has exercises for you to do. Like, it's not like if you play basketball, you have to do basketball drills. They actually have reading drills teaching mm. you to look skim. It's all about skimming and how quickly you can get the main ideas in each paragraph so that you don't need to word, read word every word. If you put speed reading on Amazon and Peter, that book will come out. One of the best investments I did, I worked through that book and helped me read a lot, lot quicker. I also read the book, How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler. I think that was the, I read that years ago. No disrespect to Mortimer. I think he's passed, but that book did nothing for me. Okay. That book, I think, was basically about, I think, reading the chapter. You said about reading an index. That reminded me read the index, read a chapter, and do this. I was like, that's, that was so confusing just to understand that concept about that book. But was, I think that book is written like 100 years ago. But the speed reading book 
by Peter or something. That was really helpful for me, just letting me get through ideas. So anytime I go through something that seems so dry, like data, I just learn to skip and get the main idea. Oh, thank you. And Simon, I, I wanted to ask you this, you know, especially we help, you know, try to get on the concept of helping people navigate, right? You know, there's so many noise, there's so many contents out there, you know, as a professional and you're very confident in your ability and, you know, with the, the voice that, that you speak, talk to us about sales rejection, you know, how should we handle it? And especially in the beginning, we're kind of rusty, we're not as confident, right? As a, as an experienced entrepreneur like yourself. So what, what, what would be your advice for sales rejections? Well, I talk about it in my book, the 10 steps to the rejection killer. Right. So a few number one is understanding that they're not rejecting you. Right. You're they're not rejecting the messenger. They're just rejecting the message. They're not rejecting you. Right. That's one of them. Uh, another one is it's their loss. I like to say it's their mm-hmm. loss. If they're missing out, it's not that your your loss. Like a lot of people feel like, well, it's my loss. I can't believe it. It's uh, you know, I think no, it's not your loss. It's their loss because you have something that can change their lives, but they only have you and your product and service, right? And think, of, if someone says no to you, that's fine because you have, it doesn't matter what town. <laughs> you, if you live in LA, millions of new, new people, you go online, you have unlimited prospects. So it's their loss and not yours. Another thing is you don't need them, but they need you, right? Very similar to that. Visualizing success before the presentation. That's a big part of it, right? So if you're worried about, oh, person's going, you're afraid I'm this person's going to say no to you, you're not going to reach out to them. Even if they, if they do connect, with you, then you're gonna you're not gonna sound confident. So, I remember my mentor used to say, if you're visualizing negativity, you are gonna get negative, and that's so true. Because just say I'm calling you, Swire. I want to pitch a deal, and I'm worried about oh, Swire. I don't know if he's gonna be interested. So even if you pick up the phone, I'm not gonna sound as confident. You visualize success. It's like sports. I talk about basketball or baseball. Right? You hit. You visualize hitting the ball hard. If you visualize hitting the ball hard, there's a chance that you may hit it. But if you're visualizing negativity, you're definitely going to be negative. Another concept is number one, you go for high numbers. Now, if you are sales is like if you go for high numbers, like you know, I for, for example, I call you early in the morning, swire you say no to me. I, I talk to 20 other people. By the end of the day, I'm probably not gonna remember that you said no to me. I don't even remember I called you. Because I'm gonna remember the last couple of phone calls. But that's why you always end on a good note. I teach my boys this in baseball. Doesn't matter what happens, you always end on a good hit because that's what you're going to remember. Now, if I reached out to a prospect and this person says, oh, how dare you call me? I'm not interested. Or I'm not interested in this stuff. And I stop. The, the, the whole day I'm going to think about this. Tomorrow I'm going to think about this. right? But I go make a couple other calls. Even if they don't pick up the phone, I just leave voicemails, text messages, emails. My mind, my subconscious mind is remembering those last messages, last emails. It's not remember the last the prospect that rejected me. Right? So visualizing success, getting high numbers, Another thing is getting paid for every no, right? And anyone can do this. So for example, if you make, a, depending on your business, just say you make $1,000 for every sale you make, $1,000. And you need, and again, you got to track your numbers. We talked about this in Komodo, the consistency, tracking your numbers. And you know, if you do 10 presentations, you're going to get a sale. Every time, instead of like, oh, someone got a no, someone got a no, I didn't make any money. You divide it up, right? You don't get $1,000 for a yes, you get $100 for every presentation. So when someone says no, hey, I just made $100. Someone says another, two people said no. I made it on the $100, $200. Uh, you get paid for the no's. And then, so that's just uh, so some of the things. This is about reframing. 
And the last thing I want to share, last tip is, other than you need new leads, a lot of people, other tip is, I learned this from my, one of my mentors. First time did this, I was freaking out like possible, like crazy. And I want you to try this one. The next time you go out to eat, you get coffee or get pizza, ask for 10% off. Okay. Right? So, hey, can I get, can I get, 10, just out of curiosity, can I get 10% off? People are like, what? And if they give you a weird look, you can just say, hey, you can, if, you, if it's something you frequent a lot, just say, I come here a lot. I just thought that I'm a loyal customer. You'll be, um, you'll be amazed. Some people, a lot of times, you say, oh, I can't do that, but they'll give you 5% off. That's worked for me. Uh, but mm. the point is not to get the, the point is not to get the 10%. The point is like to get, no, we don't do that. Or, or you say, why? Uh, sometimes if it's a new place, I just figure it's my lucky day. Right? And one time I was with my wife, the, the waitress was like, what? Uh, why? I just want to impress my wife that I've, I've got and the person laughed at it, right? Something, right? The worst is some waitress one time in a Japanese studio, like, ah! give me a high shriek laugh. Hey, but you know what? You get used to it. And I'll tell you the first time I did it, I was, my heart was beating fast. Like, oh. But really, that's like asking for a close, right? And if you get, if you can't take that, how can you take the rejection? So make it fun. You know, you know, first time I did it with a coaching client, he asked for a 10% off. He's like, Simon, I can't believe it. I actually got 25% coupon for my next order and they gave me 10% off. You never, never know that. But that's a great game to play, the 10% off game. I agree with a lot of the things you said. I think if you're a salesperson, the first word that you like obviously is a yes, but then the second word that you go for is actually a no because the sooner your prospect it will tell you no, then you know that you can move on or plan for your next step. One of those conversations, sometimes they, you have no chance of getting that job, but then you you hope, as a, as a salesperson, when you when you hope, then you're getting in trouble. You hope that you can get the sell. You spend 30 hours working on the next proposal, trying to win the business, but you know, in fact, you have no chance. But if the prospect tell you no 30 hours earlier, then you have saved those time. So I think, yes. you know, do go for the no. And if they tell you no, be okay with that. Maybe it's yeah. just not the right time and don't be rude about it. Maybe if you keep the relations going on at some point down the line, maybe it will be a yes. The yeses are great. The no's are okay, but the maybes will kill you because yeah. that was suck. It's sucking your mental energy, right? We always have like, oh, I wonder if that person, oh, I need to follow up with that person. I can't, oh, whatever time's on your mind that, you know, we have only, with our mental our brains are kind of like our, our cell phones, right? We have limited power. And every time you're thinking about something, it's draining the battery. It's draining your mental energy. It's a way to get a yes and a no. And another thing is people, if people don't give you a yes and no, just use a friendly takeaway, right? Just say, I haven't heard back from you. I've seen that you're really busy. This is not something you're look, looking for. Uh, we'll take you off the list. But maybe if something things change, you can get back to me and we'll stay in touch. Something easy and friendly, but take it away from them. Right. It's just posture. And people, if you're desperate, pushing, trying to get it, no one, no one respects that. But having good posture is something people always respect. And that doesn't mean you don't follow up. Right. So sometimes if people haven't, you follow up. And successful people always respect people who follow up. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I've been using that myself, actually. So instead of having it as a maybe, and I have to think about them, maybe adjust my proposal, I'll just actually send them a quick email or a phone call. Is this project still active? Are you still pursuing what we have talked about? Either way, let me know. Yes, we move on. No, and then you know we'll move on as well. So don't drag on. And like you said, if you have 
50 maybes. Maybe some of them are yes and no. Do a follow-up and then to 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 fine-tune where which pile you should be put on. If all your pile is maybe, then you're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Because I talked about, you know, if you want, you need high numbers and we have limited time. You want to talk to new people, you got to kind of your memory, your, your computer, you have to clear the cache, right? It slows it down. You got to get those maybes and the yeses or nos. And those are fine. Just respect them, be nice to them, mm-hmm. but you can always follow up with them later. And you know what? Follow up with them, put it in the calendar. Follow up is like six months, a year from now. You can just say, hey, I know it wasn't our, our project wasn't a good fit before, but I want to see if you're open again. And I tell you, people who are successful really respect follow-up. And just a simple follow-up. You know, one of my friends, his wife, always wins these trips. Yeah, she does sales for a company, does like software company, selling big software packages. I think she's the number one salesperson for the last five years. And they win three cruises in Alaska. And the only thing she does is like, like, how do you win? It's like, it's so simple. Because these people, it's actually very easy. Because the rest of the, no one else in our company follows up. So she actually takes all the people who said no before, takes their files, and she'll call them. And she has hundreds of people that, oh, yeah, sure, take these people. They're no good. She just follows, follows. And some of these could be people could be three years from now, five years from now. But then the business has changed. And now, they're, yeah, we're open to look, taking a look at software. And just from that, she gets, she's been the number one salesperson in her company. I think my record is five years follow-up. So it was a big company. So my contacts actually moved three times. The last time I checked with them, follow up with the, the company, oh, my last contact left already. Now this new person actually uh, looking for what I'm doing. So it was a perfect fit. You know, so keep, keep yourself remind that, especially if you're working with big company, people move on. Maybe their personality or whatever that you have didn't match. When they move on, that's your chance. But you got to follow up. If, if not, you'll never find out. People really respect, I said, people follow successful people. One, one time, just to get someone on a podcast, I remember, I, I took me like seven, eight months to get this person. And we really hopped on. He was like, because in, in my niche, there's a lot of people who do what I do, right? So he's like, Simon, I don't even know your background, but just the fact you've been following up with me for seven months, I know you must be pretty successful. And I always remember that. And I always think, hey, I never buy. I'm just going to follow up, follow up, follow up. The fortune is in the follow up. So Simon, I really want to ask you, you have built an audience, you know, you have done a lot of podcasts for, for the content. And I think it kind of tie into what we just talked about in the past 30 minutes, building an audience. Do you need to have a substantial audience to be successful? What are your take on, you know, having an audience that kind of follows your work? Well, the size of the audience is not that important because you can have like a you know, 100,000 100, audience or 10,000 audience, but they're not very, bu- they're not buyers. Mm-hmm. Right? Or they don't really like, you. Just, they don't really connect with you. They just follow you a little bit, right? Or you can have someone that's, a, you know, audience of 50 people, but they're all with open persons and ready to buy. So the, I wouldn't worry about the size. What more important is like, you want to build an audience and now with technology, just kind of like what you're doing, Swar, you're giving value, right? You're giving value. And so I think this is a big thing with social media has changed everything. When I first got started, if you want to give value, it's really difficult, especially if you're shy, introverted. Like I'm shy, introverted. I like maybe it doesn't seem like it, but I don't like to go out in the public. Like you want me to go out to chamber of commerce, do the rotary, do meetings, go to Toastmasters. That's not me. But that's really the only way to give value. Right? You, you go to church, you become a church leader or some way to give. Well, how can you give value? Now with social media, Anyone, you, you don't even need to do a podcast. Just get your phone, go on Facebook Live, go on Instagram Live or TikTok and start give, teaching what you learn. You don't need to 
know that much more, right? You just need to know a little bit more, a 5% more. So think of who she'd be talking to. Think of the person, the, the, the ideal person is the person, you will have a target audience, right? The person you were before you got started. That's very easy because when I got started, I was in my 20s, something late 20s. Think of the late person for me was the late 20s. Think of that person. What, what are the challenges they have? What are the pains? What are they dealing with right now during the economic climate, right? Or maybe the small business owner. What are their problems? And you just start teaching. Take something you've learned. It doesn't need to be that much. All you need is know it's like 5% more. If I feel like I know 5% more than that person, you teach, right? And another tip is if you're thinking, oh, I want to preach to the whole world, then it gets really nervous. But I'm teaching. He's like, oh, what do these people think about me? Well, every time I go live, even in this podcast, I'm not even thinking about talk, the, oh, who's your list, how many listeners, thousands, tens of thousands. I'm just thinking one person. If one person is listening, I'm speaking to them, that inspires them. That's good. And that actually alleviates a lot of the nervousness. You can say it's like rejection, right? Oh, this person has no idea what he's talking about. I think of the person that's eager right now, excited to hear. I'm talking to one person. So figure out who that one person is. If you don't know what it is, it's generally someone like you because it's easy to connect with because the same age, same challenges, you know their struggles and just start teaching that person something. Give value every day and you'd be amazed the audience will come. Yeah, thank, thank you so much for saying that. You know, like what we just talked about back on social media, you don't need to be everywhere. If you can affect one person, you affect that one person and then you slowly maybe build on and you know, you affect more people. People are more engaged with what you're saying. That's how you be an artist. It's not that you go, oh, there's a million people follow you, but you know how many, it, you know, going back to business, actually buyers, right? Maybe just yeah. they're looking at eyeballs, and that doesn't mean like the number of lights and the number of whatever that you have in your matrix doesn't mean anything until you actually look at your balance sheets and you actually <laughs> converting, you know, people. Uh, that's you know that's a like good mindset. Yeah, and also like the people, and, and this is something I learned early. It was a little surprising. Like a lot of times, the people who are engaged the most on your social media, they may not buy. At least for my niche, they may. They, a lot of the buyers are often are not the ones who are engaging, commenting, but they're watching you. They just don't. They don't comment, right? So every one of you, you have people who are comment. Great. That doesn't mean the ones who comment the most, or like the most, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be your buyers. They may follow you. They may be, and but they're great. You know why? Because they are your followers. They also, when you have followers, comedy encourages you to keep going, right? But they may not necessarily buy, but the buyers are out there, but they just not, may not be commenting or like it. Thank you so much, Simon. I feel like, you know, with the topic that we are talking about, it's endless, right? I don't, want to, I don't want to keep you here for the next four hours. But for listeners who are intrigued with your work, especially with your book, what would be a good way to reach out to you? They can go to uh, Simon W. Chan on Instagram or Simon W. Chan on Facebook, or just go to simonwchan.com and uh, they can connect me. I'll look forward to connecting with uh, everyone. Thank you so much, Simon. You know, you gave me a lot of ideas to think about. And I think, you know, it is, the concept can always be there. Like it, it could be an old concept, but then, you know, you can just adjust with technology or the, the people around you. At the end, it's very simple. Very simple. It's still the same doing business 20 years ago and, you know, until now. Absolutely. Hey, thank you for having me here. It's an honor. It's a ton of fun. And uh, you're great at what you do, Swire. Thanks again. Thanks, Simon.